Let us come before Almighty God with our prayers of intercession. Loving Heavenly Father, we approach you this morning in and through your lovely Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for every remembrance of Jesus this morning. And Lord, we thank you especially that we have the health and strength and wherewithal to be able to gather together this morning in Crumlin. We do very much think of Andy, the Reverend Andy Hambledon, this morning in Holland. And we pray that you would be gracious to him and that your Holy Spirit would enable him as he leads and takes part in services as he preaches and relates to other ministers and other people, may you be in his heart and would you lead and speak through him, O God. Lord, we think of those that are in need this morning, especially for those that maybe are in a nursing home or confined to bed or at their own homes through lack of mobility. And maybe even it is the case that some have started to um, deteriorate in terms of their minds, God. And yet, Lord, if they're your children, you still love them with an everlasting, impenetrable love. And I pray, God, that they might still, in their quietness or maybe even dullness of mind, that they would still feel your presence and know that you are their God and King. So, Lord, you know our hearts, you know our worries, you know our concerns, you know our joys and our delights, all are known to you. You are unsearchable. We pray this morning as we sit in quietness, in preparation, in stillness, that, oh God, you would speak to us in living echoes of your word the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Psalm of David, Psalm 24. I wonder if you've ever heard of George Frederick Handel. George Frederick Handel. He's regarded as some, as one of the most greatest composers in the history of the church. His famous Messiah, It's the most popular of all his works and it has moved countless believers to worship God. Reputed to be a masterpiece, it was first performed in London many years ago on the 23rd of March in 1743. And on that particular occasion, the King of England, George II, was present. And all who attended were deeply moved as they heard this inspiring inspiring music and biblical text put together. When the Hallelujah Chorus was sung containing the powerful words, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, something unexpected happened. For King George II himself rose to his feet, in an act of homage before God. 
He was not the only one that rose to his feet, for it prompted the entire audience to do the same. And they all remained standing throughout the entire chorus, recognizing the greatness and majesty of heaven's one true king, the king of all kings, who reigns over all, even over earthly kings, King George being one. And from that time to the present day, it has been customary to stand during the Hallelujah Chorus. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has said of this psalm, there should be a right preparation of the heart in coming to worship God. We should consider who he is in whose name we gather, and surely we cannot rush into his presence. Rush together without thought. Consider whom we profess to worship, and we shall not hurry into his presence as men run to extinguish a fire. And so as we come to worship Almighty God this morning, there ought to be a humble recognition of the sovereignty of our triune God in our hearts. And as we have sung and presented our praise, may we be devoted in thanks and honour to God. You see, authentic worship involves beholding God's unveiled glory and responding to his majesty, his kingship, and his splendor. He is the king of kings and worthy of all of our praise and adoration. True worship is an all-consuming desire to give more of ourselves, all of our hearts, our souls, our inner beings, more of us to Almighty God, yielding all that we are to all that He is. All that we are to all that He is. Psalm 24 is one of three psalms which contain the story of Christ and his work of saviour, shepherd and sovereign. We see in these three psalms the cross, the crook and the crown. The cross, the crook and the crown. And here we have a hymn of praise that directs the hearts of the worshippers of Israel then, but also us in worship today in a manner that recognizes the glory of God himself. For context, many commentators favor the setting to be the time when David, King David, brought the Ark of the Covenant back from where it had been. If you remember, it was deposited in the house of Obed-Edom when they wrongly tried to bring it. And Susa put out his hand to touch the ark and he was struck down dead because they didn't carry it in the ascribed way. They couldn't carry it any further so they put it in this man's house, Obed-Edom. And what happened? Well, the glory of God blessed this man abundantly. 
You can read of them. We don't have time today. But th this is, um, many commentators see this as the ark being brought from Obed-Edom up to the holy city of God, to Jerusalem, accounted there in Second Samuel 6, 12 to 19. So the psalm records a joyful sequence of events occurring on that momentous occasion when the ark was brought correctly and rightly the Levites being the only ones to carry it on poles. And so it was carried up to Mount Zion and through those city gates. This morning, I want us to see a recognition of God's power, a recognition of God's power. Secondly, a revelation of God's purity. And finally, a realization of God's presence. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The opening two verses present us the Lord of creation. Here God is described as reigning over all the earth. The whole earth is his footstool with everything and everyone in it subject to his control. See, he is not confined to man-made restriction or geographical boundaries. This is Almighty God. This is Jehovah, the one and only true God before whom we all will one day have to give an account to the Lord of all, the Lord over all, the Lord of creation. The world you see, whether we recognize it or not, is owned by God, for he created it. And not only did he create it, but he sustains it from generation to generation. He preserves and upholds it, having settled its foundations. Providence and creation are the two legal seals on the title deed, if you like, of the great owner of all things. In my new job, I work for NISRA, Northern Ireland Statistics and Research Agency, that doesn't flow too easily. It's taken me a long time to say it, but I have to. And when I go into a home, if they're kind enough to invite me in, I need to establish first and foremost who is the household representative person. That's critical before I go on. Whose name is the house in? Is it in the one I'm speaking to or is there another? Often there is another. He's at work or she's at work. Legally, you see, I need to establish who the HRP, who, who owns the title deeds, for it's them I'm looking to question. And if I can't question them directly, then I have to do it by proxy. But here we have the creator of all things. The legal stamp upon the creation is God through his son, Jesus Christ. He it is who created, who created and fashioned the world and everything in it. So he created you and me and he knows everything about us. You see, he who built the house and holds its foundations surely has first claim. And as an aside, notice with me the insecurity 
the insecure foundations that all worldly things are founded upon, like the seas being established upon the waters. People build on clay and, and sand and maybe even gold on the stock market and hoping to get money. And if even they do get all the millions, it's worth nothing. Not for eternity. Thanks be to God, the Christians, those that trust in Christ, have another world to look forward to, and it's a heavenly, eternal home. There's where we rest our hope on Jesus Christ, for it's a more stable foundation than anything this poor world affords. Those who trust in worldly things build upon the sea and the sand of the seashore. Christians lay their hopes by God's grace on the rock of ages. You see, we are resting on the promise of an immutable God. We are depending on the constancy of a faithful Redeemer who is Christ Jesus, God's Son, the Lord of glory, the King of kings. wonder this morning in Crumlin, are you giving proper recognition to the king of kings in your life? Are you recognizing God's power in your life? Secondly, I want us to see a revelation of God's purity A revelation of God's purity. We see this in verse 3, verse 6. For a question is asked by the psalmist. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? That's the question. Two questions. What's the answer? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, it is he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Here we see David preparing the worshipper to enter the holy presence of the Lord by stating exactly what type of worshipper may come in to his holy presence, to worship him. And so as the procession begins to ascend to Mount Zion to lay the Ark of the Covenant in his prepared tabernacle within the holy city of Jerusalem, these questions are repeated and shouted out for all to hear. Who shall ascend? Who shall stand? And the answering cry, only those who have received the blessing of righteousness from the Savior God. But what is it? What is it that makes us righteous before a holy God? Very briefly, five things. Firstly, clean hands. When the children came this morning, I was sort of secretly hoping that there might be a wee bit of dirt or, you know, that's what kids normally do, but not in Crumlin. They were as clean as you could be. 
See, the emphasis falls not necessarily on our clean hands, but it's, it's an imagery of daily living and holiness of behavior. And so God is declaring that there are moral and ethical conditions linked to fellowship and intimacy with such a holy God. You see, our actions, all of them, matter to God. They matter because he is holy and pure. So how we live and move and do things every day, in every way, represent the king. Witness to the king. Our actions, my actions, Gary's actions, John's actions, Jean's actions, Andrew's actions, Joan's actions, all of her actions. God sees them all, they matter to him. People watch us. People watch us. They know we're Christians. They'll not be long telling you, oh, you're some Christian. Huh. What are you taking those home for? Huh? I see what you're at. See, it's not what we deem to be right. It's what God has laid down in his word is to be obeyed. And that's why the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus to the people, the children of Israel. And that's why they all apply to us today. I wonder, are we clinging to them? I wonder, are we obeying them? Secondly, a pure heart here is our inward motivation and intent of a heart and soul. God despises a divided and impure heart. He hates sin. He hates it so much, that's why Jesus descended from the glory and splendor of heaven and came to earth and went through the pain and agony of the cross. But more than that, he, the Father turned his face away from Jesus Christ. He couldn't look upon the sin that he bore. He despises the sin in our lives. It cost him everything. His dear and only son, the king of kings. And you see, that's why it's only those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Only those can be permitted to dwell in his presence. Thirdly, not lifted up their soul to what is false. What does that mean? Well, the reference is to vain worship by the replacement of God with some form of idolatry. Anything really that takes away the Lord from the first place in our lives, from the prominent position that he should have. Anything like that is an idol. And we need to deal with it or it will be our ruination. It will consume us. We're told in Matthew to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do we do that? By looking to Jesus first and foremost. By allowing Jesus to consume and control how we live and move and have our being. God will honour those who honour him. I wonder this morning... What's motivating your thoughts and intentions of your heart? Is it promotion and job? Is it to, to gain a prominent position? Is it to be well liked and pleased? What do you find yourself thinking 
and dwelling upon these days. What do your hopes and dreams consist of? Be careful. Be very careful. See what you allow your mind and heart to wish for, to dwell in, to long for. That's what you'll go after. Does not swear deceitfully, lying and deception are offensive to a holy God, but especially so if in support of false worship, making us give our time and attention to other things in place of God. God is jealous. Jealous for true worship. That can only come from those with clean hands and a pure heart. Verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who run after him, who make him their God, who make him their king of kings. Walk in his ways. Ensure that the primary goal of enjoying God's presence and blessing is attained. High. The message which David proclaims is that the great God, the creator of the universe, is personally interested in our lives this morning. And so he looks at the work of our hands. He notices what we do. He sees through our lovely appearance this morning, all beautifully attired, clean, lovely, like you're going to an interview. He sees past that. He sees the quest of the soul. He sees whether we're full of integrity, the goals of our faith, what are they? And only as all these qualities exist and in proportion as they exist in our lives can the shores of God's blessing be expected to fall. David's message challenges us to the core. It challenges every one of us, right? From the little ones, beautiful to see. I love to see little ones in worship. Does your heart good? Your soul is lifted. Please don't misunderstand me. You see, it has nothing at all to do with us. Nothing to do with our performance. How good we are. It's all to do with Jesus. All about faith, by faith alone in Christ, alone through grace, alone. And God loves, cares, and sustains us through our earthly lives. But surely, 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 we must give him of our very best. The first fruits of our time, our energy, our longings, our hopes, our desires, all of our heart. And so, after all, he gave his everything for me and for you. What are you doing for him right now? Finally, this morning, verses 7 to 10, a realization of God's presence. 
a realization of God's presence. You see, David calls upon the whole city of Jerusalem. There is expectation, there is anticipation for the ark is going to come to its rightful place. So for all who live within her gates, they are to prepare for the entrance of the ark. The question is asked, who is this king of glory? The king of glory identified also as the lord of hosts or the commander of heaven's armies. You see, it's a picture, an allegory, a vision of Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. Eternal, holy and mighty. The coming king, the king of kings, the lord of lords. You see, this psalm is not only a battle cry for the church today, it also is prophetic. It looks forward to the return of Jesus Christ the second time to earth, where he will reign in the new Jerusalem forever and ever. Briefly, words from Revelation 19. Here we See John describing this event. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who was riding it is called Faithful and True, which means trustworthy, loyal, incorruptible, steady. And in his righteousness he judges and wars, wages war on all the rebellious nations. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many royal crowns. And he has a name inscribed on him, which no one knows or understands except himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen, dazzling white and clean. They follow him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is his word, with which he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he is a name inscribed, King of Kings! And Lord of Lords, glory. This is Jesus. Is he your saviour? Is he your king of kings? Is he your Lord of Lords over all of your life? Can you hear them? Can you hear the choirs of heaven sing? It's melodic. It's beautiful, joyful to the ear, the eye, and the heart. You see, this psalm, remember, psalms are meant to be sung, not just with the voice, but with the heart, with the inner soul. And this psalm was used by Israel of old in their corporate worship. It may have been reenacted many, many times at the temple. And you see, the people outside would call out to the temple gates to open up and let the king of glory in. 
And from inside the temple, the priests and the others who were gathered within would ask, Who, who is this King of glory? And outside the people would respond in unison, He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. They proclaimed his great power and strength. My sister-in-law, Joan, was very creative. She would have uh, craft displays and she would display her pottery and um, you marvel at it. And she ordered a kiln from England. And it came on a big truck with a heavy load and a forklift lifted it off. But they did not bring it to the desired location. They did not deliver it properly. It got left in her driveway on a broken pallet. She was very distressed about this. She phoned the company. They did not do anything for her. They said... If she read the small print, the delivery was to driveway, not into the purpose-built garage that she had designed and made ready for the use of the killing. And so, when ladies who don't have a man around find difficulty, brother-in-law was phoned and I came and I'm not that handy I'm afraid I, I worked in shorts and the playmakers for 32 years but I was I was a manager, other people did things I told them what to do and they did it it was great so I phoned a friend two friends in fact Stuart my right hand man in work I said Stuart I know you do everything really well for me in work I need you to do something so Stuart we came, we looked at the oven, it was about half a ton. And there was a ridge in the door, how are we going to do this? Stuart says, no problem Colin, we'll get it sorted, we need four strong men. So we engaged another friend, Robert, and then there was Joan's son. Stuart has the strength, and I'm not joking, of three men himself. He was a bodybuilder in a previous life, he was a doorman, Thanks be to God, a year and a half ago, he bowed his knee before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's gloriously saved, and he's so thirsty for the word. I was down in his house the other day, and he took me through Genesis 1 to 3, and I literally cried at his knowledge and how God, but this man is strong, and so what he said is we need to lighten the load, we need to strip this oven down. Make it light. So with his Samson-like strength, he took the oven door off in his own arms and he carried it in to the garage and set it down. I've never seen strength raw like that in my life. He did it. Then we, piece by piece, took it apart. He says, now the three of us can lift it. But what he really meant was, you two and me, because I'm probably as strong as both of you put together, And so Andrew's job, he was to lift the wood away from the bottom, so to give us a clear run in. Andrew's a boffin, he's an IT, fantastic games designer and all that. When it came for him to lift the wood off, he couldn't do it. And we had to hold it, and I'm afraid, sorry, but I had to shout at him. And when I shouted, he pulled the wood. We got the oven in. Strength. 
Nothing like the strength of God. When Stuart did that, he was not a Christian. But Robert, Andrew and I were. But Robert and I prayed for Stuart for a year and a half, burdened like no other. And the Lord heard her cries. And now that man is walking with the Lord. We took him away on the weekend. And the speaker of the weekend is called Pistol Pete McKenzie from Ed Underwood's Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He took one look at Stuart. He's a mighty man. He's a Samson. This is a man that's not a Christian. And he said, Stuart, one day you will be a mighty oak for the Lord. That brought a tear to this big strong man's eyes and heart. Little did he know in six weeks he would become a Christian. Strong as he is, he had to bow the knee. Strong as he is, he fell to his knees and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be his strength. So this picture, sorry, when Eastern people welcomed the guests, they often took doors off the hinges and some doors were raised and lowered like the gates of a fortified city. Decorating the other week, and uh, we'd ordered a new suite, and it was to come on the Monday. I was very worried. You know how it can be. Spent a lot of money on this suite. Bought it from Wright's Leather. <coughs> so what did I do? I took the door off its hinges. I actually physically lifted it up. In order to get the door off the hinges, there's two wee, whatever they are, like, I don't know. You take them up, but then you have to lift the door. You have to actually lift it off. And we did that. And so it made it easy for the lads when they came. Unfortunately, there was a mark on the suite, but that's another story. Anyway, maybe you are here this morning and you're saying, I will never enter the heaven of God, for I have neither clean hands nor a pure heart. Stuart recognized that. What did he do? When Stuart fell on his knee, strong as he was, he knew he wasn't strong enough to save himself. So my prayer for you is, look away to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Make way for him in your life. You see, Christ has already climbed the holy hill. He has entered into heaven as a forerunner of those who trust in him. Make way, make way, make way in your hearts for him. I know time is gone, but in closing, verse 10 is an inexpressibly grand and is fitting to the conclusion. Jehovah of hosts, Lord of men and angels, King of kings, all true glory is focused and concentrated on the one true and holy God. For all other glory is but a passing pageant, the painted pomp and show of an hour. The ascended Saviour is here declared to be the head and crown of the universe, to be the King of glory. Jesus of Nazareth, is he your King this morning? Really make way for the King. All of your life given over to him to glorify and lift his lovely name up before others. So finally, in closing, I hope today has given you a glimpse 
of this wonderful psalm, a glimpse of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, a lofty, high, and holy consideration of God Almighty is the most important thing for us if we're Christians this morning. You see, as a person's vision of God goes, so goes his or her life. And one's life will never rise any higher than his thoughts about God. A high view of God will lead to high and holy living. No one can live any higher than a proper understanding of who God Almighty is. Again, Spurgeon said, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God. What is it? You see, it's the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom the child of God calls his father. So it is in a believer's life, a person's life, will rise no higher than his right vision of God. But the glory of God, oh, it's so sad. It's been dulled and diminished and dimmed in our day. And that's why in our day, this psalm, this psalm which depicts the ascension and also the coming back again of the king of glory is so important to our faith and right relationship and right communion with God. As our knowledge of God goes, so go our lives. May we see afresh the clear and high view of Christ Jesus in this psalm, beholding all of his sovereignty, holiness, and glory. And may God grant us the grace to ascribe to him the King of kings and Lord of lords to worship due his lovely name.